Loving Panams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Tryon Pilgrimage, a program where we go through the Bhagavad Gita verse by verse, and I have the pleasure of doing that with all of you and simultaneously also delving into Swami's literature, especially the Gita Vahini and the other discourses that Swami has given on the Bhagavad Gita. And truly speaking, the Bhagavad Gita is an essence of all spiritual wisdom itself. So almost everything that Swami says is in some way or the other connected with what we are going through Bhagavad Gita or I could say the other way around. Whatever we go through in the Bhagavad Gita is in some way or the other connected to what Swami has spoken to us, what Swami has tried to convey to us through His words, actions and the various beautiful interactions and experiences that He has given to us. As always, let me give you a short summary of what we covered last week. So that will put in context what we are going to go through in this week's episode. We went through verses 20, 21 and 22 of the 7th chapter. Till the 19th verse, Krishna spoke about a jnani. After having spoken about the four types of devotees, he then went on to concentrate on the jnani and speak about what makes her or him special. Simply put, the jnani recognizes the Lord as being the resident of all beings as being omnipresent and not limited to any form and the other important description is that he does not have anything to seek from the Lord he seeks the Lord himself he or she as the case may be so coming to the 20th verse that we covered last time Krishna contrasts this nature of the jnani with other devotees he goes on to say kamaihi taihi taihi by desires for this and that, Hritagnanaha. These people whose wisdom has been snatched away from them, Prapadyante Anyadevataha, take refuge in other gods or deities. Anyani is, as I was just saying, characterized by two qualities that are complementary to each other, you could say. One, there are no desires for worldly objects, and hence the jnani seeks only the Lord. And when the Lord is approached with such an attitude of desirelessness, the jnani sees the Lord as being everything. So the others who are not the jnanis are pretty much the opposite of this. Because they have desires, they go before God for the fulfillment of these desires and when they approach God in that manner, the unsaid statement is, you want grace only in a certain form, right? When you say that I want this to happen, it means I want God's grace to come to me in this particular form. I can see the manifestation of grace only in the pleasant tidings, right? Which means I am unable to see the Lord as being Vasudeva or being imminent in everything. So when the devotee looks upon the Lord as being limited in this manner, the devotee becomes a worshipper of a Anyadevata or a lesser deity. And that worship, the moment you have a deity to be worshipped, there is a methodology that goes along with that worship. Tam tam niyamam asthaya. Following that specific ritual or means of worship, Krishna says the deity is worshipped. And that worship is also governed by one's own nature because that worship is governed by what I seek. What is it that I am asking? And what I am asking for is dependent on my prakriti or my nature. So what one seeks is based on one's nature and based on that, a specific niyamas or rituals are followed and that deity is worshipped. 
we'll of course come to this point right in the end of today's episode this idea of merger of karma and upasana right which is what this entire section of the bhagavad gita stands for we will probably discuss that briefly towards the end of today's episode coming back to the summary in the 21st verse krishna says whichever deity one may choose to worship in other words whatever be the desire you may come to fulfill krishna says i strengthen that faith so that is what is the essence of the 21st verse in the 22nd he says using that faith which i bestow when he says i strengthen that faith he says using that strengthened or one pointed faith that i have given you now the devotee starts worshiping that deity of his or her choice and gains what was prayed for but whatever is granted is granted by none other than me right you might pray to anyone you might have a smaller idea of what god is but what is given is always given from the supreme lord and we also discussed when we were discussing that verse about the play of words where krishna is cryptically stating that you don't necessarily get whatever you pray for not exactly what you pray for but what you are given is hita the most beneficial meaning through what is being given to you as a blessing you are actually being raised to higher states in this journey or a more a certain maturity is granted to you as a blessing not merely the object that you are asking for so those were the three verses that we covered last time we'll go to the verse that we have for this week we'll start with verse number 23 as always it is very beautifully and clearly rendered by brother sham to whom we are very grateful because very painstakingly is doing this for all the chapters and we're very very happy that swami has given us a wonderful volunteer in the form of brother sham so we'll listen to the verse in his voice i'll give you a very brief meaning of that and then we'll discuss in detail the essence of what krishna is saying in this particular verse antavattu phalam tesham tadbhavatyalpamedhasam devan devayajo yanti madbhakta yanti mamapi the result of theirs who are of poor intellect is indeed limited the worshippers of gods go to the gods my devotees go to me alone so that is the 23rd verse there are some shlokas in the bhagavad gita when you look at them individually they can give a completely different meaning but when you look at it in the context of the entire discourse or that particular chapter then it gives a slightly different meaning this is one shloka which is like that in fact even the previous few are like that if you just take them from the gita and you read them or you chant them they will not probably give you the entire essence of what krishna is trying to convey because krishna in this shloka as well is speaking about many deities or lesser deities the reader is given to wonder just in the previous chapter and even in the beginning of this chapter krishna spoke of there being only one divine principle all of a sudden krishna is speaking about various deities and now he is speaking about lokas of those various deities you go to those places of those deities he says but that is not really the case the divine as we just discussed is only one depending on our approach depending on our desires and aspirations we see god as different deities or different entities and this is a theme that is repeated actually in different places this is not only in this part of the bhagavad gita krishna speaks about it when he spoke of the various yagnas he speaks about it in the context of the various varna systems he clearly stated that the distinction that we see in divinity is born out of the approach that we have because we ask for different things it appears that there is a division among the people who worship god so this is what we had even discussed last week so this verse 
has to be seen in the context of that entire discussion stand alone it suddenly throws you off balance he's saying oh krishna is talking about various deities and he's talking about you reaching various deities versus you reaching krishna quotes on quotes because that also can cause a little bit of confusion because here is an avatar and when you say an avatar he has a specific form and that form has specific attributes even that form has an age it has parents it has relationships so when krishna says you reach me is krishna speaking about himself is krishna speaking about the son of vasudeva and devaki or is he speaking about the supreme so all of that becomes a confusion if the shloka is taken out of context and sees so what does krishna say in this particular section after having given that assurance that he himself strengthens the shraddha or faith when somebody comes to the lord and worships for whatever little desires or aspirations they have he goes on to say in this particular shloka tu but tesham for those alpamedhasam alpa means little medhas means capacity to think so alpamedhasam means one who has limited capacity to think or inquire tu tesham alpamedhasam but for those of limited capacity of intelligence tat phalam that fruit or result which he referred to in the previous shloka that is got by worshiping lesser deities he is referring to those results tat phalam antavat bhavati is finite antavat meaning it is limited a very simple but an important statement that krishna is making here you ask for worldly things i will grant them to you krishna says but remember that what i grant will be short lived how cruel of god why is he giving us grace with an expiry date we might wonder but no grace doesn't have an expiry date but the nature of what we seek is anityam or antavat as krishna says here god is available to us he can give us the finite as well as the infinite but if we seek that which is by nature finite so we will have to accept that what we receive will have a limited lifespan before we go to the next statement in this shloka this word that krishna uses to describe such devotees is actually very interesting he says alpa medhasam those of little intelligence there is a slight difference between buddhi and medhas and swami would often point out what is the difference between the two though sometimes in uh, spiritual literature you would find these being uh, used interchangeably many many times in discourses swami says that it is not so medhas and buddhi are different so swami would say that though both of these are aspects of the mind or related to the mind when you say buddhi or spiritual discrimination it is higher than medhas or what is otherwise also referred to as medha shakti medha shakti connotes worldly intelligence so krishna is saying alpa medhasam meaning to ask for trivial things is a sign of lesser intelligence even in the worldly sense medha swami would say is the intelligence that is linked to the sense organs when you look at a person and you say he is intelligent or he is brilliant or he is very smart it means that this person has an ability to look around seeing the situation and is able to respond and react intelligently to the situation right that's what we call an intelligent person if you put him in a spot he or she is able to get out of that in a very intelligent manner and that ability is what is referred to as medha shakti so swami says this medhas or medha shakti is connected or linked to the sense organs 
the intelligence that makes decisions based on what is seen and experienced around the individual is referred to as medha shakti and by nature this medhas is alpa or limited in this vast universe what i understand is so small right our entire lifespan is like a blink of an eye in eternity how much can this medhas be then what i see around i can see my eyes can barely see a few kilometers away my ears can barely hear a few feet away and my intelligence even my knowledge gathering is limited to a certain extent right so when we refer to what is the medhas aspect of the mind that in itself is alpa or limited now when i am facing a crisis what happens all of my attention is limited to that problem it is drawn to that problem my focus is completely on that situation which needs my attention isn't it similarly if i have some unfulfilled ambition all my other achievements are forgotten i am only thinking of that desire which has not been fulfilled right so i would say this there are enough reasons for us to be happy but that reason which makes us unhappy will get all our attention we live healthy lives but one fine day if i have a headache or stomach pain my mind cannot think of anything else my mind cannot think of the days when i did not have a headache isn't it so emergencies needs and desires in general make me an alpamedasa already my medhas is limited and when i am in a crisis this medhas shakti is all the more limited so when i am in a crisis or when i have desires in general i become an alpamedasa and when i pray before god having become an alpamedasa i become like a person standing before the ocean with a tiny vessel right so what will i be able to take from that ocean the ocean can be endless but what i take will only be as much as this vessel can carry so i'm explain this in a discourse and uh, i'll probably just read out that portion it is so beautiful in fact whatever i'm struggling to convey in the past couple of weeks swami so beautifully and crisply conveys in this few lines that swami delivered uh, it's a shivaratri discourse swami gave in the year 1990 23rd of february swami says and i quote each devotee has his own conception of the divine no single form can be ascribed to the lord the lord's grace is conferred on each devotee according to the level of one's spiritual consciousness the ocean is vast and boundless but the amount of water you can carry from it is determined by the size of the vessel you take if the vessel you carry is small you cannot fill it beyond its capacity likewise if your heart is constricted divine grace will be equally limited broaden your heart and receive the plenitude of god's grace how is one to broaden his heart it is by getting rid of narrow differences and by curbing desires by developing insatiable desires the heart gets shrunk a broad heart means recognizing the truth that the divine dwells in everybody only then can you obtain the reality that is unchanging and eternal end of quote swami summarizes this entire portion of the gita in those few lines that i read out right it's so very profound and believe you me when i say this if not going through this section of the gita you would probably read this and find you know how is this connected you know at one point swami is talking about broadening the heart how is broadening the heart related to desires how is that related to seeing god in everybody but when you go through this portion of the bhagavad gita this seventh chapter you find that entire thing is summarized in these few lines that swami says in that discourse and that's the beauty of swami's discourse it needs unzipping right if i were to put it in the technical jargon we use nowadays going back to that uh, passage that i read out first thing swami says each one attributes a form and nature to god what krishna explained previously how the illusion of different deities are formed then swami says 
you cannot confine the Lord to any one form. Meaning, we do not have the right to debunk another's concept of God. We cannot say that this alone is the form of God. Krishna had said, I accept your devotion in whichever way you choose to offer it and I strengthen your faith in that same mean, using that same means. If a worship of God in a certain form, in a certain method is acceptable to God himself, why should you and I judge a devotee and his or her means? And then Swami goes on to say, but this is like standing before the vast ocean with a small vessel. Yes, you're allowed to bring any vessel that you want. You're allowed to bring a small vessel, a round vessel, a squarish vessel or whatever it is. But when you bring a small vessel to the ocean, that is the quantity of grace that you can carry. And what makes that vessel small? Our own insatiable desires and narrow thinking. And Swami goes on to say, how do you deal with this? By recognizing the truth that God resides in all, which is Vasudevam Sarvam, what we've been going through in the past few verses. So in those four or five lines, Swami has given us the essence of this entire portion of the Bhagavad Gita. So what happens when I go to the ocean with a small vessel? The water that I am able to gather in that vessel, with time evaporates. It gets used up, as the case may be. The ocean, which has the same water, is ever full. But the ocean water, when brought in a small vessel, eventually evaporates. Then, what happens? I will have to again go back to the ocean to fill my vessel again. right? Every time I need water, I go back to that ocean again. And I keep going again and again. And probably at some point I will say, I am tired of going up and down. I will say enough. And I will probably start looking for means by which I am able to seek for something, receiving which I will not have to seek anymore. And that is the Lord himself. But till then, the ocean that gives is the same. But the vessel is different. And that vessel is our own limited thinking. Now this explanation that we've seen of you know somebody going in front of the ocean with a vessel, this explanation is based on seeking and receiving. What you seek, that is what you will receive. If what you seek is ephemeral, then the grace that you receive is going to be ephemeral. If what you're seeking is the Divine Lord Himself, what you receive will also be eternal and unlimited. But whenever we speak of the spiritual quest, we also speak of it as a journey, right? Of you getting somewhere or you reaching a destination. That is another way by which we speak of it. So based on that approach, Krishna explains in the next line in the same verse. He goes on to say, Deva Yajaha, the worshippers of the gods or these lesser deities, Devan Yanti, go on to reach these gods. Matbhaktaha, my devotees, Yanti Mam, go to me, Api, indeed. So this statement has been interpreted as those who worship lesser deities reach those lokas governed by those deities and those who worship Krishna reach the supreme state. In the past, you know, I'm sure in the times of the Bhagavad Gita itself, in the times of Krishna and Arjuna. It was not uncommon to perform yagnas and worships and yagas, say to perform a deity like Indra. Right? Indra is one of the deities to whom much of the yagas were dedicated to. And as a result, the Vedas say that when you perform so many yagnas, you reach Indra Loka or what is referred to as Swarga or heaven. And it is believed that there are Different lokas like this, just like how Indra governs Swarga, there are different deities that govern different lokas. So this statement that Krishna is making here, if you worship those deities, yes, I will strengthen the faith, I will give you what you are asking for, but remember, eventually you will reach those gods. But if you seek me, Madhbhaktaha, my devotees, he says, will certainly reach me. So the question comes, do these lokas really exist? 
are there many deities and are there many lokas governed by these deities well i could say yes and no if i were to ask you this question do different countries exist your answer will be yes but those countries india russia america whatever it is they are concepts in our minds they are social constructs right they are countries on paper we have created them we have decided that from this point to this point will be india and thereafter it will be pakistan and thereafter it will be afghanistan or whatever the case may be but in our reality in our working we have these countries they do exist because we have decided that they exist but in reality if you look at it these are all our own constructs they do not exist earth is one so i would say countries are many the earth is one because in the larger sense there are no distinctions like this right but in our reality in our working reality there are countries similarly we see billions of beings the truth is the ultimate truth is there is only one but just like how we have created a country by saying from this point in earth to that point in earth is this country similarly we have created this idea from this point of from the tip of the hair to the tip of the toe is one body and this body is one being one person or when it comes to an animal from the snout to the tip of the tail this is one animal but in reality there are no multiplicity there is only one right in a very similar manner i feel the ideas of different lokas and devatas are also existent when we say this entire creation as we see it is a play of maya why can't there be different levels of lokas and all of these as also part of that maya anyway it's a dream and why not different levels imagine this entire play of maya to be something like a virtual reality or a simulation game and most of these games are i think they are sometimes referred to as arcade games right you have many many levels and you go through and based on the choices that you make the game takes you into different levels probably a dungeon a treasure house or takes you into the meadows or a fantasy land where there are dragons and many uh, fancy creatures there are no limits to how many levels and how many such simulations that i can create the person who has designed the game can put any number of these things and any complexity into the game the creation that we live in is like that maybe the jivatma experiences many lokas i am probably not the best person to say yes or no to that within the body we experience material gains but when the body is distracted the subtle body may probably undergo many other experiences which are referred to as the individual soul traveling to different lokas right the point i'm trying to make is whether we bring in those aspects or not it really doesn't matter the gita is teaching us something which is very practical and which can be applied right now just because there is a mention of different deities and different lokas it does not make this portion of the bhagavad gita irrelevant or non applicable to our daily life and that is why this shloka can be spoken of as being purely figurative and still it is valid for our understanding it might even be a reference to some transcendental experience of various lokas and deities but even if we were to say that okay i don't understand that part let me keep that aside let me take it in a more figurative way even then this shloka is very very useful in our understanding and practical living so the idea being krishna says if you ask me for worldly things i will bless you with worldly things but worldly things by nature are limited and hence the joy and peace that you derive from them will also be limited i am eternal if you seek me the peace and joy that you derive will also be eternal meaning you will not have to seek any more explaining the same thing as a journey he says if you seek anything else you only reach a certain transit point in the journey it is progress 
but not the end of the road. But when you seek to reach me, I am the end of the road. As Krishna said in the 18th shloka of this chapter, Anuttamam Gatim. I am the ultimate destination. Beyond this point, there is nothing to reach. Right? As we also saw in another verse, when you look at the journey, the destination is the last point of transit. Right? There are different points that you go through. That is the last point that you reach. Anuttamam Gatim. So if you are seeking the last point and if you reach there, there is no further destination or there is no further movement in that journey. That is what Krishna says in this particular verse, the 23rd verse. We listen to the 24th verse. I'll give you a brief meaning of that and then we'll discuss in detail. Avyaktam vyakti mapannam Manyante mama buddhayaha Param bhava majananto the men of poor intellect are not conscious of the higher, changeless and supreme nature of mind and hence they regard me, the unmanifest, to be a manifest one. So that is the 24th shloka. When Krishna says, the wise devotees who seek me come to me. There are many people who may mistake the statement to mean that reaching Krishna, the son of Vasudeva and Devaki, to be that ultimate destination. So Krishna clarifies that in this shloka by saying who he really is. When I say you reach me, who am I? Don't misunderstand who I am. So he explains in this shloka, Abuddhayaha, those who lack buddhi. Mama param bhavam, my supreme nature, avyayam, which is changeless, anuttamam, beyond which there is nothing greater, ajanantaha, without knowing, avyaktam vyaktim apannam manyante maam. Avyaktam means unmanifest. Vyaktim means manifest. Avyaktam means unmanifest. Vyaktim means that which has been manifest. Avyaktam vyaktim apannam means the unmanifest as being manifest. Manyante maam, consider me. So Krishna says, those who lack buddhi, think of me who is supreme and changeless, who is avyakta or ever unmanifest as being this manifest body. As we had discussed in the beginning of this chapter, one of the reasons this chapter is important in the context of the Bhagavad Gita is that it is giving a description of the Supreme Lord. Though there is a context to why Krishna is explaining this, what he says here is also very important in a standalone point of view. So this shloka Krishna is saying, when I say they reach me, don't think they reach this Krishna, this body Krishna. To think of me as Krishna is itself a sign of ignorance. Those who have spiritual discrimination of buddhi will never make this mistake of thinking that I am just this body. The abuddhaya, they are the ones who make the mistake. Even when he manifests, he is avyayam anuttamam. Many people after Bhagwan chose to give up his physical form would say this in regular conversation or in speeches that they would give in platforms or in satsangs. They would say that, you know, now Swami has become universal. Now Swami is not limited to that form or puttaparti. Now Swami is everywhere. Well, though the attempt there is to boost our own spirits and... Uh, so that we don't become despondent thinking that Swami has left us and Swami has gone away. But nothing can be more further from the truth than putting it that way. Saying that now Swami has become universal. Because the truth is, Swami was never limited to that form. The truth is, Swami was always omnipresent. Even when He was in that form giving darshan and we were seeing Him. Right? It was we who limited Him to that form. When that form looked at us, 
we would think, ah, oh, Swami is looking at us. When he would speak to that form, we would think that, ah, oh, now I have conveyed my problems to Swami and it will be taken care of. The limitations were always in our mind. The limitations were never his. He was always omniscient. He was always omnipotent. He was always omnipresent. He was never limited to that form. So it is absolutely wrong to say that post-2011 April, now Swami is available everywhere. Swami was always available everywhere. And that is why Krishna is making it very, very clear. You think that I am manifest only with respect to this body. There are two ways of saying the statement. One, as I just explained, that when God comes down in a human form, we kind of limit him to that form. This statement that Krishna is making here, avyaktam vyaktim apannam manyante maam. The other way of looking at it is, or the second uh, interpretation for that is, we do the mistake of thinking that now God has manifested. We all celebrate Swami's birthday, we celebrate Krishna Janmashtami, we celebrate Ramanavami. We think that that is the point where divinity manifested. So when we say Sarvam Kalvidam Brahma, whatever is seen is Brahman or divine. It means God is already manifest in everything that we see. Right? This is the statement that Vedanta makes. Whatever you see, whatever you interact with, whoever you come across, they are all forms of the divine. Sarvam Kalvidam, whatever your eyes fall upon is divine. Which means God is always manifest. There is never a point where he is unmanifest. And that is something Krishna is explaining in this chapter. He says all of Prakriti is his manifestation. He said Apara Prakriti is filled with his divinity. And this is the mistake that Krishna is saying that persons of low intelligence commit. When God is in everything, when God is everything, we confine him to one particular form and worship and adore only that form. So this statement, avyaktam vyaktim apannam manyantemam is another way of making the same statement that instead of recognizing me as Vasudeva, the resident of all, you think of me as Krishna, Rama, Shiva and so on. Of being of only one particular form or nature or attribute and who can be pleased by offering a certain set of eatables or doing a certain set of rituals. In reality, I was never unmanifest. I am in everything that you see. right? So that is one of the important ways of looking at it. There's another important way of looking at this entire section, as I said in the introduction itself, but we'll do that after we go through the next shloka. I think we'll have enough time to listen to that, discuss about that shloka, and also discuss in general about this segment as well. So we'll listen to verse number 25, and then we'll proceed with our discussion. Naham prakashasarvasya Yoga maya samavritaha Mudho yamna bhijanati Loko mama jamavyayam Being enveloped by Yoga maya, I do not become manifest to all. This deluded world does not know me who is birthless and undecaying. So that is the 25th verse of the 7th chapter. Krishna makes it very clear in the shloka that it is not easy to recognize him in all. If it was, then we all would be seeing Swami everywhere. And there is no problem, there is no need for a solution. And there is no need for a solution in the form of the Gita or any discourse for that matter. That is why we use three words to define different kinds of knowledge. And we've discussed this before in the Gita series as well. We refer to the three forms as Pratyaksha, Paroksha and Aparoksha. Pratyaksha means that which is evident. It is available to be seen by one and all. Pratyaksham itself means it is just there in front of me. Paroksha means I can't see it Someone else who is more mature is able to see it and I accept that person's knowledge as my own. The word paroksha itself means 
in others view i am seeing through somebody else's eye right that is paroksha gnana aparoksha means that which was paroksha that which i was seeing through someone else's eye i am able to see it myself so god is in that sense not pratyaksha to everyone if god is in everyone krishna does not have to come and say i am in everyone you understand this or the vedanta does not have to do a lot of derivation like we do high school physics and then at the end of it say thus proved that god is in everyone right nobody needs to come and tell me the color of a flower that i can see myself but if you are trying to tell me something that is not directly visible to the eye you need to explain it to me so krishna or the lord is not pratyaksha to everyone and because he is not pratyaksha i need what is referred to as aparoksha i need the scriptures to come and tell me what i cannot see by myself and what are the scriptures what is bhagavad gita the upanishads or the various discourses from the gnanis or the mahatmas they are the aparoksha they have seen it they are coming and telling see this is what i have discovered this is what it is so krishna is saying that naham prakashah sarvasya i am not manifest to one and all prakashah the word prakasha means light or that which is luminescent but here prakasha also means evident or easily available to be seen so why is he not prakasha to all naham prakashah sarvasya yoga maya samavrutah because he is wheeled by yoga maya he is covered by yoga maya what is the difference between maya and yoga maya why is krishna using the word yoga maya here well i'm not uh, absolutely sure but i'll just give you a, the different explanations that are given for this word yoga maya adi shankara explains it this way in his bhashyam the word yoga means to unite right i'm sure by now this this should be part of our basic syllabus right yoga means to yoke or to unite so yoga maya is that delusion which is formed by uniting something or putting together something what is this maya constituted of as krishna himself has explained before it is made up of the three gunas so yoga maya means that illusion that is created by bringing together these three gunas that is one of the ways by which you can explain this word yoga maya because earlier the same statement i am covered by the yoga maya what krishna is saying here the same thing he said i am covered by the triguna maya so it is if you can really see that it's the same statement made in a different form so in that sense yoga maya translated or interpreted in this manner is certainly valid in swami's discourses swami uses the word yoga maya multiple times you would find this in various discourses swami uses this and whenever swami uses yoga maya i think it is in a context to remind us that this maya belongs to the lord it is maya that is being wielded by the lord himself or to suggest that this maya is literally united with god right yoga maya the maya that is ever yoked and what is this maya yoked to it is yoked to the lord it takes enormous effort to separate yoga maya from him because by nature it is always attached to the lord swami would often give this beautiful example of mother yashoda and uh, that episode i'm sure most of you will be familiar with that much before arjuna has the, the vision of the cosmic form vision of the vishwavirata it was mother yashoda who had that vision and she had it in krishna's mouth and we all know that profound anecdote balrama comes running to mother yashoda and tells that krishna is eaten sand and yashoda is very upset with krishna she comes with a stick and she holds the little child and says have you eaten sand and krishna says no i have not eaten any sand it might appear like it is a lie right because krishna has just eaten sand and when the mother comes and asks he says no i have not eaten sand but truly speaking it is the ultimate truth that krishna is speaking he who contains the entire brahmanda within him 
Is he eating sand? Is there any sand that is not already contained in his cosmic form? All the Panchabhutas are already in him. So in that sense, when he says, I have not consumed sand, he is actually telling the supreme truth. The mother, who still looks at the child as her little child, not any ordinary child, but a very mischievous child. So she looks at Krishna and says, you liar, open your mouth, let me see. And there she does not see the sand. When Krishna opens his mouth, she sees the entire cosmos there. And the cosmos is filled with multiple Brahmandhas. And there she sees the Milky Way. And there in that galaxy, she sees the solar system. And in the solar system, she sees the earth. And when she looks at the earth, she sees the Bharatvarsha, the Indian subcontinent. And there in a tiny village called Gokul, she sees that Yashoda is asking Krishna to open her mouth. And again in that mouth, she sees again the multiple Brahmandas and the multiple Brahmandas containing the Milky Way. This is nothing but the Vishwavirata Darshan, right? So Krishna is giving a darshan of his cosmic form that everything is contained in him. Vasudevam Sarvamiti. That vision Krishna is giving to Mother Yashoda. And Swami would narrate this episode and say, the very next moment, Krishna himself envelops Mother Yashoda in Yoga Maya so that she forgets this vision. And why does he do that? Swami would say, so that she could enjoy that Vatsalya Prema, that motherly love towards Krishna. So as a devotee, she had earned that boon of loving the Lord, the Supreme Lord, as her own child. And so Swami says, Krishna uses his Yoga Maya so that he can give her that that joy of mothering the Lord that she has craved for. If she remembers that vision, she will not be able to enjoy that joy. So Swami would say that the word Yoga Maya, whenever he uses, it is specifically to remind us that it is attached to the Lord, it is being used by the Lord himself. It is not some scary, gory thing which is coming and standing between you and Swami. It belongs to the Lord himself as Krishna had said, it is Mama Maya, it is my Maya, he had said, right? And Swami was explaining this in a discourse so very beautifully. He says, you all come from different places, from far off countries and far off lands. You come rushing to the portico and you come and sit there. The moment I see you, Swami says, I come and ask you, hey, how are you? When did you come? How did you come? And all of that. Do you think I don't know this? I know when you made the plan to come and I know what exactly is the problem that has brought you to me. But still I'll come and ask you, how are you? When did you come? And Swami said, I am using my yoga maya to give you that joy because you feel happy that Swami came and spoke to me. Oh, Swami recognized me in the crowd. Or Swami came and asked about my welfare. To give you that joy, Swami says, I use my yoga maya. But in this context, Krishna says that the yoga maya is what hides the Lord and stops him from being evident to all. But consider this, I am also divine, you are also divine, each one of us is divine by nature and that is the truth. Why is it that we are not able to see each other's divinity? Why is it that when I see you, I am not able to see Swami and when you see me, you are not able to see Swami? Because we are covered in Yoga Maya, right? I am or my divinity is covered in Yoga Maya for you your divinity is covered in Yoga Maya to me. So Adi Shankara in his commentary raises this very interesting question and of course he answers it himself too. He says, so when we say that the Lord is covered in Yoga Maya, does it mean that he is also deluded? Just like how I am deluded and also covered in Yoga Maya, you are deluded, you are also covered in Yoga Maya. When we say the Lord is covered in Yoga Maya, does it mean that he is also deluded? He explains this very beautifully. When you say Maya, what uh, this entire world we see is Maya. Who has created this Maya? The Lord has created it. There is a very beautiful word in uh, Sanskrit. The one who creates the Maya is referred to as the Mayavi. The Mayavi creates the Maya. The word Mayavi means a magician. A magician creates a spell. It could be by a sleight of a hand, by hypnotism or whatever it is. 
so the maya we creates a spell and the people who are watching it believe what they are seeing to be magic or it is something that cannot be explained by their own understanding does the magician ever get fooled by his own trick that can never happen isn't it he knows very well the working of the trick where he is pulling what from and what is hidden under which sleeve he knows exactly and he knows what is the sleight of hand that he is using or what is the trick that he is performing he knows the secret behind every contraption that he is using and as it is said once you know how a trick works once you know how the magician is performing that particular act you will never be fooled again by that trick isn't it same is the case with the lord he is the mayavi who is creating this entire spell this maya the yoga maya is created by him and he is hiding behind it and not for a moment the lord himself gets entangled in the maya he is the mayavi who knows exactly what his maya is and if you wish to learn what is the secret behind what he is doing you will have to go to him go to the mayavi and say teach me that trick that you are doing and once you learn the secret behind the trick the lord can spread as much maya as he wants in front of you you will never be fooled or affected by that krishna continues to say in the shloka mudha ayam lokah this deluded world which i said in the previous line is completely covered by maya mudha ayam lokah na abhijanati knows not mam ajam avyayam that i am birthless and imperishable we say god is present in all and also say that he is not seen if god is present in all why is it that i am not able to see him if god is in a rose i am able to see the rose how is it that god is not seen even though i am seeing the rose because what we refer to as a rose is a form that exists for a brief time it blooms and it fades but god is that aspect within that rose or beyond that form called the rose which neither blooms nor fades ajam avyayam it is not born it does not perish and we don't see god as this constant nature because if we do we will not think of him as being manifest and being unmanifest avyaktam vyaktim apannam manyante mam we will not fall into this category that krishna was speaking about but it is not that we don't know god also that is why krishna uses a very beautiful phrase he says na abhijanati janati means to know abhijanati means to know properly or you know exactly as it is so he does not say na janati he says na abhijanati they do not know me properly or entirely so the lord is known why do we all make prayers to the lord why do we turn to god when we are not able to deal with our affairs ourselves we turn to the lord which means we acknowledge who lord is but na abhijanati we don't see him entirely and if we do there is nothing to seek from him because knowing him entirely means is to seek him is to know that he is in everything and there is no way one can get fooled by that before we concluded i wanted to make a, a have a small discussion about what is this entire portion of the bhagavad gita i'm already out of time but maybe i'll just take two or three quick minutes to put this entire portion of the bhagavad gita that we are going through in perspective where does all this fit in in the discourse of karma yoga that krishna has been speaking about or how does all this relate to we performing our duty is this portion of the gita purely abstract and does not have any relevance to our practical life well i don't quite think so if you look at it throughout the gita what is being taught how karma should be performed how karma should be performed in a way that it does not bind but it leads us to liberation or jnana for that karma has to be raised to the state of upasana or worship and this happens in stages and we have to work with what we have meaning yes the ultimate state is to become desireless but 
the fact is i have desires i have aspirations i have likes and dislikes raga and dvesha so i have to work with what i have i have to work with the nature that i have right now right because krishna said that what you seek is based on your own nature you choose what you wish to achieve based on that prakriti or the nature but krishna says don't worry it's all right so you have a nature you have likes and dislikes no problem you fix what you want to achieve work towards it in a righteous manner and then offer your efforts to me and stop worrying about the results right this is what in essence what krishna spoke about as karma yoga what is krishna effectively suggesting as he said in an earlier chapter do your karma like you are performing a sacrifice meaning make your everyday duties the ahuti or the offering the process of you going about doing those duties or you achieving your goal perform them like a ritual the moment you say it's a ritual you will do it diligently with reverence with humility and then you accept whatever comes as prasadam right that's what krishna said in the third chapter whoever all karmas bind but the one who does karma like a sacrifice or a yagna he or she does not get bound by those karmas now the same process is being converted into upasana or worship or being explained in the backdrop of the relationship between a devotee and the lord how is that we all have needs swami had said that even in the gita vahini that we all have desires and needs and there's nothing uh, to be ashamed of that's what we are at this point either it is a desire or it is an emergency or it is a spiritual craving and that is what makes us an arti a tharti or a jignasu or a combination of all these based on our nature now with this nature i go before god now i can be a normal person carrying out my karma which is i want to achieve something and i am doing karma or actions to achieve that likewise i want a specific boon from god and i worship god accordingly what krishna is saying here is even as you do this bring in the idea that swami i want this but having placed my mind on it and having prayed for it it is up to you whether you want to give it to me or not i want to start this business but it is up to you i want to have a child but it is up to you i would like to get rid of this health issue but it is up to you this is very similar to what krishna says is karma yoga isn't it do what you have to do but leave the results to god the same thing that makes karma perfect that attitude of nishkama or desirelessness it is the same thing that makes devotion supreme as well and that is why in one of the first few discourses that swami gave in the early 1950s swami spoke about nishkama prema towards the lord just like how nishkama karma makes karma perfect nishkama prema makes devotion perfect there it is doing without expectation here it is praying without expectation and what makes devotion perfect perfect devotion is surrender isn't it so when i tell swami swami i have this desire but your will is acceptable to me we are saying i am ready to see your grace see your presence in all scenarios that might manifest and that is pretty much the essence of this particular chapter a normal devotee starts by seeing god's grace in the good things in life that's what krishna said in the beginning of this chapter just like he said i am the pleasant smell in the in the earth i am the effulgence i am the that which gives warmth which means god is shining only through few things in the beginning stage for a devotee slowly when the devotee accepts god's ways as they are he does not say that i like this i don't like this whatever comes to me from you is acceptable to me which means now the devotee begins to see god shining through every scenario in life and that is what krishna says in this shloka naham prakashah sarvasya yogamaya samavrtah because of this yogamaya i am not at this moment manifest to all but the one who takes refuge in god refuge in this mayavi 
then the maya we will show you how this maya works and once you have seen how the trick works let him perform the trick a million times before us we will not be fooled we will recognize his presence each time so with that dear listeners i'll conclude this week's episode till i meet you next time take care keep safe jai sai ram